Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, and he is Wes Hodkiewicz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, day one of the 2018 NFL Draft is in the books. And as they say, you just never know how these things are going to (laughs) go. What a Thursday night for the first round of the NFL Draft. What were your impressions? First and foremost, everyone loves to do their mock drafts where they get really uh, fancy and they start trading. (laughs) Show me one mock draft that had the Packers trading back from 14 to 27 and then up to 18. You never see those mocks, but that's the you know the reality of draft yeah. night. And the Packers, to be able to do that much fluctuation, they end up, and we'll talk about this in a second, they end up gaining a first-round pick next year, an extra one from the New Orleans Saints, and still end up with a field that they feel, uh, a player that they feel has comparable value in Jair Alexander, the Louisville cornerback. I think Brian Gutekunst, for his first night on the job as GM in terms of the draft, uh, was pretty happy with what the Packers walked away with. Yeah, he seemed pretty excited not only to be able to add Alexander and a cornerback the Packers obviously thought very highly of. The second pure cornerback to go off yeah. the board, the fourth defensive back to be taken there at the 18th pick, but then to be adding a first-round pick in 2019. Now, the way he described it to us afterwards when he met with the media was he was you know, exploring some trade possibilities of moving up from 14, uh, you know, in the early stages of the draft, nothing really came together there. Then it was, okay, am I going to sit and pick at 14 or am I going to move back? I think they were probably ready to sit and pick, but then when that offer came of a first-round draft pick for next year, that's going to give any general manager pause. You've got to stop and really think about that. And uh, and he basically said it was just it's too good an opportunity to pass up. Yeah, and when you look at the numbers of this thing, Mike, I mean, the fact of the matter is the Packers got the first-round pick, 27th overall from the Saints. Traditionally, I think you end up acquiring a second-rounder, but since the Saints were so far back... They had to bring more in order to, to make this deal happen, so they offer up their first-round pick for 2019. And it is interesting, I ran the math. Uh, if you go off the draft value chart, yeah. the Packers, for this year alone, the Saints come up, I think it was 387 points ahead. But next year, the worst that that pick's value could be, let's say the Saints would win, win it all. Right, and they're 32nd. 32nd. That yeah. value pick is 590. The difference between 590 and 387, basically a high third round pick. So at the very least, that's the advantage for which the Packers are getting. And then any spot up from that only adds more to it. Right. Um, it It is, I'm sure it was very tempting. You know, Derwin James was still on the board. Tremaine Edmonds still on the board. Marcus Davenport, who the Saints ended up drafting, was still on the board. But in those days leading up to the draft, Mike, you heard some rumblings that the Packers might potentially be interested in Alexander. He was a guy that I think coming off the year that he had being banged up at Louisville, some people really weren't sure if he was going to be a first-round pick. But 4.38 uh, speed in the 40, Denzel Ward, who went fourth overall to the Browns, was 4.32. Um, not the tallest cornerback you're ever going to find, but he plays bigger than that. And at the end of the day, the Packers needed a playmaker, and this is a versatile guy that can play inside or outside for them. Yeah, it's really interesting how this played out because earlier in the week we were both talking and as we made our predictions for whatever those were worth. <laughs> but both of us essentially predicted that the Packers in some way, shape, or form would get one of those top three DBs in the group being Denzel Ward, yeah. Minka Fitzpatrick, or Derwin James. And as it turns out, the Packers did get a defensive back, and they did have an opportunity to take Derwin James, 
But really, with Gutekunst making the moves that he did to trade out of the 14th spot and go down and then come back up to 18, he basically declared that, you know, Alexander, he had, they had Alexander rated essentially an equivalent player to Tremaine Edmonds, Derwin James, maybe Marcus Davenport, that if they look at their board and they've got equivalent value there and essentially he gave up a third round pick to Seattle to move back up to the 18th spot. So he moved back four spots in a net of the two trades, gives up a third round pick this year, but gains a first rounder next year and gets the number two cornerback off the board. You really can't ask for it to fall any better. There are two different varying avenues in which I look and view this this trade through. The first one is, and I, I talked about this in Insider Inbox, I'm sure you read it this past week, I was really interested to see if a scenario would play out where it wasn't just one of one player that the Packers could potentially take at 14, that two or three of them are available. There. And that's, that's what I continued to say too. Yeah. I thought he would somehow, some way it would happen where he'd have some options there at 14, and it did happen that way because the four quarterbacks went. Mike McGlinchey went number nine, the offensive tackle. Yeah. That pushed those some of those defensive guys down, and he did have choices. And the reason I really wanted to see it is because we can talk until we're blue in the face about who the Packers should pick, but – Ultimately, that's the only opportunity for us to ever look into the mind of Brian Gutekunst and see what exactly the Packers were thinking. Because if Edmonds isn't on the board and James isn't on the board, uh, if Davenport's not there, certainly the names change and you have to figure some stuff out. But it tells you that the Packers viewed Alexander in the same area, the same stratosphere yep. as those other players, and they were able to move back and acquire another first-round pick in order to do that. The other thing that stands out to me, you and I, both put a lot of emphasis on these two defensive backs, Derwin James and Mika Fitzpatrick from Alabama. The one thing I like about Alexander, though, he does have experience in the slot, and last year he played the boundary. Boundary cornerbacks can play the slot. Safeties can play the slot. But you don't see a lot of safeties, hybrid defensive backs, that can play boundary cornerback. To go outside, yeah. And when you look at this situation now with being able to bring Alexander in, he gives Joe Witt in that secondary that kind of flexibility. Yeah, well, I want to get into some more details about uh, Jairi, um, sorry, Jair Alexander. <laughs> we'll do that after the break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkiewicz in that one. Okay, Wes, so the Packers trade back 13 spots, trade up nine for a net move of four, and they take Jair Alexander, the cornerback, out of Louisville. And when you look at the measurables, 4.38 is the number that jumps out at me. That's some speed, and that's the kind of speed that can't be coached. It's uh, it's one of those God-given type of things, and uh, this is a guy who is going to add some speed to Green Bay's defense. Need for speed, uh, and he certainly fits the bill in that regard, and he uses it, too, to his advantage. I thought uh, Director of College Scouting John Eric Sullivan came down after the pick was made 
in mention, he didn't want to draw comparisons between Alexander and Sam Shields. But the one thing he did mention that, and you go back, and it was the number one thing that Sam Shields did, especially early in his career when he was still working on his technique, was the recovery speed, the yep. ability to close on a receiver. Alexander possesses that. And he plays with a certain swagger as well. I mean, he is a nasty streak. Um, and, and he plays within the rules. I'm not trying to you know, say anything other than that. But he definitely rises up to the occasion. You can just tell how much that motivates him. Even last year, you know, battling through the knee injury to get back and, and to play in six games and make five starts for Louisville he's a gamer and he's a guy that went there as a walk-on not a walk-on but you know kind of looking like he was going to play receiver he said he ended up moving to cornerback because they just had three guys that had left there was opportunity there played right away from the get-go played the slot played the boundary and with having speed like that I think that is ultimately what enables you as a defensive back that especially in those early years when maybe you're still trying to find yourself and find what you do well it gives you a larger room for error. Yeah, and this is a player that uh, that the Packers, you know, I should say he would have liked his 2017 season to go better. You mentioned the knee injury they had cost him about half the season. You look back to 2016, he played every game, intercepted five passes. Um, he uh, The Packers did not have any injury concerns having watched the film from the right. end of 2017 when he came back and going through all of the workouts and everything like that and 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 really the packers kept their uh kept their interest in him somewhat quiet i know yeah. he he said well i never talked to anybody from the packers <laughs> that wasn't exactly true but the packers were not uh um you know were not overly uh you know open about uh about their interest or you know their intentions here so they were able to keep it uh fairly quiet and uh and Brian Gutekunst got a guy that he really likes the thing i love the most about it is Gutekunst said afterwards too he's like we were watching this guy from the beginning and, and they <laughs> followed up with him at the combine just seeing how he was going to look coming off that knee injury and the fact he ran a 43840 tells you I think he's going to be okay in the long run. He mentioned it was a bone bruise that he was diagnosed with. It happened on a, a uh, blocked field goal recovery, I believe he said. Yeah, he said he hyperextended. Hyperextended it, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, that ended up costing him four games. He ended up sitting out of their bowl game just to be uh, cautious at the end of the season. But what a player in terms of uh, just being able to to be able to do what he did in that time at Louisville. Only played in 31 collegiate games. He declared as a true junior. Um, so you're getting a guy that's a little bit on the younger side of things, but you know, he mentioned it. He doesn't know a whole lot about green Bay. He knows it gets a little bit chilly in the winter time, <laughs> but he did say, I mean, the track record speaks for itself. You look at Charles Woodson and, and Nick Collins and the guys that have come through that room. Uh, he's really relishing that opportunity now to come in there and, and show that he belongs. Yeah. And I had done a, a prospect primer on Alexander for our website. You know, when we came back from the combine and had all of those prospects to sift through and and the one thing that stood out to me that was really funny from his combine interview his his press conference there when uh when we went back through everything was um that his teammates started calling him alexander island because yeah. uh because of you know they could just leave him one-on-one -on -one, shut down you know the top receiver you know the the guy on one side of the field and uh he was somewhat you know flattered a little bit humbled by uh by getting that name that that nickname from his teammates but He's a guy who who seems to, you know, to take that kind of uh, a moniker and, and feed off it. You know, he's not he's not afraid to try to get into a receiver's head, no. you know, to play the jawing game out on the field, you know, that that kind of thing. I'm really excited to see what uh, what this guy can do now. 
I mean, the NFL can be the most humbling league in the world for any young player, but this is a this is a player not lacking for confidence by any stretch. Yeah, and he doesn't shy away from the moment either. He said, you know, he's seen plenty of six four, six five receivers in the ACC, and he wants to step up to that challenge and believes he's ready for it. The other thing that's interesting too, Mike, you mentioned the five interceptions he had his sophomore year. Uh, this wasn't against, you know cupcake-type quarterbacks. Either two of those were against Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, this is a guy that, that has done it against the very best, not only in college football, but now the NFL. So, uh, I, I think and you go back, and I saw some of the videos already of him and some of the plays he made and, and his kind of banter after the play as well. Uh, there's a lot of confidence in a young man, and that is, I think, other than probably quarterback, that's the one position where you need to be confident. Yeah, well, we've got more to talk about from this first round of the NFL Draft. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz, all the way over there. So, okay, Wes, the Packers, they got a little bit more than just a cornerback here in this draft, and Alexander is a good one. But they also got a guy who's done some things in the punt return and a guy who, not right away maybe, but later on down the road, can be one of these locker room leader types. He's a team captain and whatnot at Louisville. A lot of good things that we heard about his character and what his uh, teammates and, and coaches and whatnot have said about him. Um, you know, really kind of this guy looks like he kind of brings the brings the whole package. Yeah, I mean, first off, starting just quickly, touching on the team captain side of things, I thought that was one of the things that, uh, you know, John Eric Sullivan, when he was talking with the media, mentioned is the fact that he's kind of an out, outgoing, uh, fun-loving guy. I mean, look at the photos of him and – uh, in Dallas with his family, yeah. everybody. I mean, he was he was enjoying the moment, reveling in the moment, and then you know had a teammate in Lamar Jackson who ends up getting taken at the end of the first round too. So a uh, big night for them, and you could just see he really appreciated. Uh, you know, he had the confidence, Mike, to go down to Dallas and, you know, it's going to say, I'm going to be a first round pick. I'm going to walk across that stage. And, and that was, was no guarantee that. based on it the wasn't. analysts and the projections. No. There was no guarantee he was going to be a first rounder, yeah. and, but, but it paid off. But he certainly did. And, and when you look at the skill set, though, it makes complete sense. Oh, and, yeah. You yeah. know, Brian Gutekunst drafted this kid because they think he can be a lockdown type player, whether they're using him in the slot or the boundary where he's playing. He's going to be one of those top 11 defensive players that we always talk about when the Packers are charting out their, their depth chart and their packages. But he does give you something as a punt returner, and that was a small part of the whole little package that, that I think Brian Gutekunst and everyone liked. I think it was 44 uh, punt returns in college, averaged just under 10 yards a punt return, yeah. and had one brought back for a touchdown. It appeared as if he was going to do that again during his junior year, but because he ends up sustaining the knee injury when he came back, they did not put him back on that that group, but... You know, early on, Mike, you got to find ways to get involved. Randall Cobb did it in 2011. I thought Ty Montgomery did it in 2015 as both a returner and also a block, you know blocking some punts as well. Uh, he gives you that kind of versatility. And when you're when you have so many defensive backs in this equation, I mean, there are 14 guys returning right now on this roster with NFL experience. You have to find ways to make yourself valuable from day one, and I think that's another thing that Alexander does. Yeah, and when you look down the road, uh, obviously the Packers have used their first pick in the draft now the last two years on these young cornerbacks in Kevin King and now Alexander. I know Tremont Williams, Devon House are here right now for the Packers, and they're going to play integral roles in 2018, but when you're looking down the road, 
if the future is King and Alexander as your top two cornerbacks, you kind of like that combination because King is 6'3", you know, the taller, got the length and all of that. And then Alexander, only 5'11", but has that 4'3", speed that uh, allows him to, to potentially match up in, in some different situations. It looks like it could be a, a really good combination for the future of this defense. Yeah, I remember talking to Jimmy Lake, uh, the defensive backs coach for Kevin King at Washington, who actually now I believe is their defensive coordinator last year. And, and he said, this is a guy that could play inside. He could play outside for you. But when you're 6'3 and you run in the 4'4s, four you want that guy up against Des Bryant, Julio Jones, and those top receivers that we saw last year when he was healthy. Absolutely. He is your prototypical press man corner. You look at, now conversely, what Alexander does well, he has a history operating in a single high scheme and, and cover three looks, and it sounds like he has the strength to be able to challenge guys at the line of scrimmage. But because of that size and that explosiveness and the word we just kept over, hearing over and over again, and you know, John Eric Sullivan told you it as well in one of the post uh, one of the post conference uh, you know interviews that you guys did, is twitch. Yeah. He's a twitchy guy. He has that kind of quick fibers in his body that, yeah. that allows him to be where he needs to be in the very second that he needs to be there. And when you look at what King did well last year and you look at what Alexander does. And then this boatload of cornerbacks the Packers have coming back with House, Williams, Quentin Rollins will be coming off an Achilles. But, I mean, they have a lot of different options there to complement that core. Uh, this is it, And the work isn't done. Gutekunst said that. I mean, they still would yeah. like to get some more done this weekend. But oh, yeah. That being said, it, it was a very good start. Yeah, really be interesting to see how this comes together now with an addition like this guy. But with that, we're going to go to a break back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. back to Packers unscripted Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz okay Wes before we wrap up this uh this first round recap here I want to take a look at a little bit of the bigger picture of what happened here in the first round because we had talked about it all during the week with the Packers sitting in the middle of the first round you needed those four quarterbacks to be taken up high some other offensive guys and as it turned out you know Saquon Barkley Quentin Nelson not a surprise Mike McGlinchey as I mentioned ended up sneaking into the top 10 so that pushed some of those defensive players down into the Packers range and as it turns out the uh, four quarterbacks in the top 10 made NFL history did it not it did first time ever that with uh, Josh Rosen going number 10 to the Cardinals after they traded up First time that's ever happened in NFL history. I think that shows you, again, the importance this particular year with having this many different prospects that are considered you know, top-level potential franchise quarterbacks. Uh, they, teams had to go for it. Yeah. And you look at Buffalo trading up as well. I think the Jets, they already did their trade you know, months ago now, it seems like. Right. But this was the year to jump on it, and it made a lot of sense. For me, going into this draft, Mike, I thought there was really – Seven things that needed to happen uh, in terms of the players in that top 13 before the Packers for things to really work out and go in the sweet spot for Green Bay. You needed those four those four quarterbacks to go before 14. Yep. Um, and then you needed McGlinchey to sneak in there because everyone knew Quentin Nelson at some point was going to get taken. Yeah. And I thought uh, you needed like Vita Vea or 
uh, Deron Payne to go in those first 13 picks, and both of them ended up Yeah, they ended going. up both getting those two big guys. So ultimately, that's what allowed the Packers to sit in their spot at 14 with all these different options and uh, how they wanted to address their defense. I thought the board really lined up well for them, other than the fact that I'm sure if you're Green Bay, you would have loved to have seen Denzel Ward make it a little bit farther <laughs> yeah. down the board. Yeah, but, John uh, Dorsey was having none of that. He grabbed him at number four right after he had taken Baker Mayfield with yeah. the number one pick. Yeah, so. and I still, I, I've said this to you before, I said it to you right afterwards, I would have been very interested to see what Dorsey does if Saquon Barkley would have been there, but yeah. the Giants obviously felt like they wanted to go with the, the best player in the draft over the quarterback, uh, at least in a lot of people's eyes, but all that being said, with Chubb being off the board, I, I just thought, other than somebody making a remarkable fall, whether it was a Rokon Smith or somebody like that, this was as good of a scenario as Brian Gutekunst could have hoped for. Yeah, and quickly, I wanted to get your thoughts on what the rest of the NFC North did. You mentioned Roquan Smith, the linebacker yeah. from Georgia. The Bears ended up taking him at number eight overall. Later on in the first round, the Detroit Lions take an offensive lineman, Frank Ragnow from Arkansas, probably a center, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, and then, uh, and then beyond that, the Minnesota Vikings take a cornerback from UCF, Mike Hughes. Um, Roquan Smith, I mean, is it is he Brian Urlacher light, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, you know, he maybe has the potential to be that kind of player. This is what's interesting with, with Vic Fangio being in Chicago. Now, maybe it'll change a little bit now with Mike Pettin in Green Bay, but they always, him and Capers look for the same type of players. So if, to me, Smith really projects is that every down, you know, three down inside linebacker, dime linebacker type uh, that you can always just count on, you know, playing and play out. Uh, more so, I think Ragnow is a great story. Obviously, he lost his father a number of years ago, but right. still really persevered and put together a really nice stretch of football despite some of the ups and downs that Arkansas had. So it was it was interesting to see how it all played out. Yeah, and with the Minnesota Vikings taking a corner, Mike Hughes, I think it'll be uh, it'll be prudent to watch you know, Hughes' career with Alexander's yeah. because really the only reason Hughes lasted that long is most likely because of the, the off-field yeah. concerns. A lot of uh, analysts had him rated, you know, just as good as Alexander, um, you know, maybe just below Denzel Ward, who was pretty much the consensus top cornerback in the draft. So uh, so we'll be watching, uh, watching their careers co- closely here in the NFC North. But with that, we need to sign off on Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and the rest of the draft on Packers.com on Twitter. He's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers. For the team account, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.